Hey everyone, welcome to Season 2, Episode 14 of the Centennial Podcast. And this week, we're very excited to have a certain someone who is known in the Senator's community come on the show. But that's not till the second period. For the first period, we have our weekly recap that we want to get to. So, guys, the Senators started with three games against the Edmonton Oilers. And wow, outside of the first one, the other two were definitely forgettable. The Senators then played a game against the Leafs, which was not forgettable. Maybe for Toronto fans, but you know. And then two against the Canucks. Very close games and honestly, wrong wrong result in both of them. Let's Let's be honest, guys. And so we'll we'll start in Edmonton though. They were a few bad games. Um, you know what? That's not fair. The first one was all right. So we'll start there. Yeah. So that that that's that's the tough part because you know Decord comes in, uh, and he, I I thought he played really really solid in that game. I mean, we lost, I believe, three two. Yep, that's correct. And so. I I think that was great. He he looked good, and then you know we get uh, we get blown out the next night. <laughs> I, I I think Decord has played quite well, and then he came in in relief and and did did his best. You know, so I uh, we we lost Matt Murray, and and that that kind of sucks as well. Then Decord's been playing well. He gets his first win. Which I thought he played phenomenal. Every game he's played in, in my opinion, he's he's kept us in the game, and um, I think we can't say that for Matt Murray every game. Yeah, that's true. I think Matt Murray's been a bit of a roller coaster. But Bennett, I'll let you kind of get some two cents in here about what you thought about the Senators over the past week. Yeah, uh, I'm going to turn to the goalies in a moment because I think that's been such a, a roller coaster in the last couple of weeks. But just to kind of crunch some numbers here. Uh, so uh, in the six game period we're talking about here, the Sens went one, three and two. Uh, so not a great two week period for the team after a pretty good start to the month of March. Things have definitely wandered a little bit in the last couple of weeks. Uh, so we dropped another three-game series to the Oilers, like you guys were mentioning, including a couple blowouts, which is no good. Uh, won a cheeky game against the Leafs on a Sunday night right in the middle there, and then two losses to in overtime to the Canucks. In games where both games, I think we played quite well, like you mentioned, uh, and I think we deserve better than what we got in some cases. Um, now the Suns got outscored 26-13 to 13 in the last, uh, in these past six games, uh, but that was mostly uh, Edmonton racking up the score in games two and three against them. Um, and the Sens' power play is kind of reverted back to being sputtering at best. Uh, we went two for 14 uh, in the last six games on the PP, which is not great. I think I've been seeing some old habits coming back in terms of not getting the puck into scoring positions, doing the drop pass entry, and just getting stymied constantly. Uh, and I mean, you see it in the players, like they just look frustrated. I mean, like you see like Shabbat, like carrying the puck in and it's like, if he, you have to assume that they're being instructed to do things a certain way, because like he had the ability, he had the 
you know, the opportunity to just like carry the puck over the blue line and get set up. But like, that's not what he did. He like dropped it back and then almost like actually turned it over in that instance and led to almost a shorthanded opportunity the other way. So again, it's kind of, it's kind of gone back to not really working. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just great to see. Uh, we hope that like we can find some consistency in the power play. Cause right now, I think we were talking about this offline, but it seems like 50% of the time, you know, our power play kind of looks decent, looks all right. And 50% of the time, it's like weird the ones down a player and it's just completely, completely inept and doesn't even get going at all. Yeah. And uh, that can't, that can't happen. You can't rely on a power play that 50% of the time is absolutely like invisible. Like you don't, you lose the face off in the zone get kicked out of the zone and spend two minutes just skating circles in your own end. It's uh, it's not viable. I think one of the biggest problems is if you look at our first unit on the power play, you have Shabbat out there. You have Batherson. You have Sutsla. Uh, I believe Josh Norris has been getting some first power play time now uh, that uh, Danov, I believe they've put back. They've like swapped their position. I've seen Norris yeah. play that bumper position that Danov was playing before. So now that they've switched that out, our second power play unit just isn't a power play unit. Honestly, it, it would be a solid penalty kill line plus Dadnov. It's like Nick <laughs> Paul. I'm not even kidding, too. Like oh, It's yeah. actually hilarious. It's Connor Brown. Uh, I believe Chris Tierney's out there sometimes, but it's it's Connor Brown, Nick Paul. Um, Dadnov is, again, getting some time there instead of the first line because of the Norse uh, switch. And then you have Riley and, correct me if I'm wrong, but Zub, I believe. I want to say, like, Dezingle has been getting power yeah. play reps, hasn't he? Sorry, you're right. He has been getting some reps there, too. But but I find that there's no one who's really there to get a goal. Like, Nick Paul has a nice release, don't get me wrong. Yeah. And Connor Brown, even at times, has a nice release. You know, he doesn't always get the puck elevated to, I think, the areas where you can really get it under the crossbar or he shoots as fast as hell right into a goalie's crack. Exactly. He doesn't have the accuracy. He doesn't have the ability to really pick corners, pick weak spots on a goalie. And I think that's his biggest downfall. But with a guy like Nick Paul, he is so defensively minded. And if you look at his giveaways to takeaways, that guy is insane. I love him. Yeah. Nick, Nick Paul is just a beauty and it's, it's, <laughs> and he's so well appreciated on your penalty kill at five on five, what he does for this team is unbelievable defensively. That the problem is he doesn't have that gift offensively, at least this season, right? I mean, last season he only had 20 points in 56 games, so whatever. Weirdly enough, though, like I think I'd prefer Nick Paul over Connor Brown in this scenario. Oh, yeah, I would too, because he has that shot, and he has shown in the past that he can pick those corners and get nice goals. Yeah. The problem I have with it is, naturally, it seems like he's very good at possessing the puck, and he's very good at taking the puck away, and I'm looking at his takeaways this season. He has 28 takeaways and only 7 giveaways, which is nuts, but the crazier part about that is, we were saying some fairly good things about Nick Paul's defensive capabilities last season. Well, in last season, in 56 games, he had only he had one less takeaway. He's played 23 less games this season and has one more takeaway. Like it just a shows defensive stalwart. Yeah, he he is really and of course I can never compare him to Mark Stone Mark Stone offensively, because Mark Stone offensively is just an animal now. 
But defensively, he's really got that like Mark Stone defensive awareness that is, I think, very hard to find in young players. I know he is 25 at this point, but honestly, it's he's a guy who I think you have to keep as a depth player going forward. And I'm sure they will. He is signed through next season, but it's just my own belief. But anyway, this all goes back to the power play. As Bennett has mentioned, it's been absolutely anemic, and they need to find something to fix it. And giving to single reps there is definitely a good start, but they need to find that, that next step. What can they do to actually make it even just one goal? If they can just get one goal in like five opportunities, let's say, in their next game, that I think is a stepping stone. Like just get the second unit to score a goal. The first unit, obviously, you want to score goals, like they're your best offensive weapons, hopefully, unless your coach is nuts. So you obviously want to score with your first unit. But if your second unit can contribute, that's huge, I think. And you really need to find a way to get that second unit to click because they just haven't been. And the Senators are going to be playing against a now Daryl Sutter coached team in Calgary, their next two games, uh, which will be on Monday and Wednesday, I believe. You're going to have to find a way to break through that uh, more defensively sound team in terms of uh, how their coaching scheme will have changed from when they played against the Jeff Ward-led Calgary Flames. So I, that's just my two cents on the power play. I think they just need to find a way to make that second unit really click. And I don't know what the piece is that they need there, but right now it's not jiving and you can just tell. In short, I mean, it's mediocre. <laughs> is it even I, mediocre? I hate the draft. I hate the draw pass. It doesn't work. It it really never has, except the one time that Carlson did it. And then they must have <laughs> been like, oh my God, this is awesome. And then, you know, it's never worked again. Well, so. the, the claim is, though, that most higher echelon NHL teams use that. And actually, funny enough, in the game that we beat Toronto, I actually saw Toronto use that exact same move on their power play. They did the drop back. The only difference being that they have Marner and Matthews uh, on their power play, whereas, you know, we have Stutzel and Batherson who are both quite good, but obviously way different uh, terms, or, or sorry, way different uh, level of development um, at this stage in time, right? Batherson and Stutzla eventually are going to be like studs. And I mean, Batherson has really had like a, a, a great showing this season of his capabilities offensively, but they're not on the same level of Marner Matthews yet. And so I think once the talent level of the team increases, that dropback will work better. But I think you're right. They're dropping it too far back and they're also dropping it, but then having to just stay stationary because the guys aren't actually skating in full stride. The guys who are in the neutral zone getting the drop back. So then everyone just stops up at the line anyway, and it doesn't have the desired effect of that play. But anyway, that's, that's getting into the nitty gritty of the power play, but man, you just, I just want to see it click. Like, I don't think it's clicked since, it would, even in the Guy Boucher era, I don't think it really clicked. No. It must be going back to like Paul McLean where we had a fine power play. And even that I'd have to fact check because I have no idea. I don't remember a good power play. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I also do not remember a good power play. Like, I can never remember a time where like there are times where like the power play, I had no strong feelings about it. Like it was neither great nor terrible. Um, 
but I can't remember a time where I was like, oh man, a power play. Like, this is something the Sens are good at. <laughs> On it, uh, and the thing is, is like sometimes this season, it's looked lethal. Yeah. But that's one out of 10 times. So oddly enough, in the season where Guy Boucher was fired, the Senators' power play was not bad. It was actually running at just over 20%, and the league average was just under 20%. So they were slightly above the league average by like 0.5, 0.6%. I'd have to, like, I can check other seasons here, but that's kind of interesting because I remember under Guy Boucher, a lot of times we complained about our power play. But I think around 20% uh, to 25% is is like ideal. But yeah, the prior season with Boucher in 2017-18, our power play was 16.5%, which is just, oh God, that's just not good. And the year where we went to the Eastern Conference Final, our regular season power play was also like under 17%. So you're get, you guys are right. Like our power play has been anemic for like years. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to the McLean era and really see like, when we played the Rangers in the first round um, that year, our power play was 18%. So yeah, even I guess in the Paul McLean era, it's just, why? Why does the power play not work? Somebody help us, please. Our power play percentage right now is 14.68%, and the league average is 21.28. So you see, like a good team would be closer to 25%. Um if the average is 21%, and then, yeah, we're all the way down at 14%. I actually just went through all the Paul McLean era, too, and it was even worse than the Guy Boucher era, so <laughs> we won't revisit that anytime soon, because that's just awful, dude. Now, let me just circle back to uh, to the goaltending, just because I wanted to touch on that in the last two-week period, too, because, wow, we have seen a whole lot happen. So, uh, we saw Matt Murray... Well, Marcus Hogberg is still injured, so just uh, to like, we know that, but just to like remind you. And then Matt Murray injured himself in a warm up. Uh, that was before the game against the Leafs on Sunday, right? And then Decord came in and he won that that game. He actually didn't, apparently, he didn't injure himself in the warm up. When he came out for warm up, he told Decord that something was bothering him and that he, Decord should be ready to go in case. Yeah. So it was okay. something they had tweaked the previous game. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so we have Hogberg out injured. And Murray is kind of injured, kind of like it's a little unclear there. Day to day, day to day, day to day. Uh, Decord got injured in the game last night, and Christensen had to come in, uh, and then which led the Sens uh, to go and pick up. Uh, well, actually, this might have happened. Yeah, they picked. Yeah, they picked up actually uh, Forsberg prior yeah, to yeah. the game. Yeah, prior to the game, they picked up Anton Forsberg. So I think this is just another example of Dorian being like 500 IQ, man. Gallagher. Big brain, baby. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, so who's going to be our goalie uh, in the next game? I mean, maybe. I think it's got it's got to be Forsberg. He won't be out of quarantine yet. Oh my! Wait, but Forsberg is coming from Winnipeg, so he has to have a seven day quarantine because it's a different province. Yeah, unless he drives. No, because it's a provincial <laughs> thing. But yeah, if, oh, he was, okay. if he was coming from like Toronto, then yeah, it'd be different. So yeah, then it's definitely Gustafson. Gustafson's getting his, his be the first goose. career start coming the up. Goose is loose. That's Let's wild. Go. And like, did you see the little story about him recently? Uh, Wait, which one about, about his hands? Yeah. No, well, the, about the hand, that's wild. <laughs> uh, and just for context, everybody, um, 
Philip Gustafson said he went to the bench to get a hot pocket or something to heat up his hand because when he's in super high pressure scenarios, the blood drains from his hand. And a lot of people were like, that's not good for a goalie. But I I say otherwise. This man literally has ice in his veins. <laughs> Dude, I mean, if somebody made me a pizza pocket at the bench, I'd be fucking skating over there too. <laughs> On the other hand, it means that he's literally the exact opposite of a hot hand. So yeah. I don't know. Also <laughs> true. That. Also true. And then the other story, sorry, Bennett, I keep doing this, but... Uh, was was about his parents. Like he had to call his parents at like 5 a.m. Swedish time, and was like, "Guys, I played in an NHL game." Turn on, and the they're game. like, "They're like, ah, shit." So they watched it. They took pictures for his first game. It was, it was awesome. Yeah, that's sorry that about it. Now really it's cool. your turn to talk. I've taken up my allotted time. Yeah, I was just gonna say, yeah, good to Philip for getting his first game in. Uh, if I was his parents and he called me at five in the morning, I'd be like, that's great, Philip. Uh, Colin, four hours, thanks. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, it's either Gustafsson, uh, probably not Forsberg, or maybe Murray if, you know, his, his injury isn't that serious. Who's going to be starting the next game? And it's just it's just such a trip. I mean, our goal, yeah. goalie situation is just so volatile right now. Uh, our save percentage, our team save percentage is 877. Uh, again, Against the league average of nine oh two, like my God, we are just getting, we are just getting our goalies are just getting sorry, um, just shelled every yeah. single night, um, and it's like we're not even. I think like in a lot of games, we've actually been keeping a really good handle on the number of shots that we're conceding, but my God, like our goalies this season are just man, yeah. <laughs> they're just having having a whale of it. So I think what we need to do is basically rotate Murray and Decord because both their second games. I mean, Decord looks more comfortable in that. I'll give him that. But like to make my joke make sense, you know, we should just record or put in Decord and Murray and just swap their games so they can never play the second game in a row, so they can never have a bad game again. Instant cup. There we go, boys. Done. There you go. Yep. I, I solved the goalie problem in Ottawa. There we Big go. Brain four fifty uh, IQ. Oh my god. Yep. It keep my IQ. I, oh my god! Well, there. Never mind. Now it's not growing. <laughs> I was gonna say my IQ keeps going up. Let's go. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, I know. So Monday, yeah, I think Murray, if he's good from whatever he tweaked, he'll be good to go. Uh, I mean, you have to like. I'm. You could play Gustafson. I wouldn't be opposed to the Sens being like, you know what, Gustafson played well in that little bit that he did play. Let's put him in for this game. I mean, it's not against Toronto or Montreal, who I think Ottawa prides themselves in, in beating a little more. So even if Gustafson has a garbage game, whatever, it's against the Flames, sends the organization, I think, wouldn't care as much about something like that. You know, we all know how much rivalry games mean to Ottawa and to Toronto, Montreal. And I know we send sickos. We pride ourselves on, on really demolishing the Habs and Toronto when we can which it isn't all the time, but this season we've done a good job at kind of staying level with them. So, uh, yeah. And I think Forsberg, if Murray's still not ready to go, and it's Gustafsson and Forsberg, I think they will put in Forsberg, uh, especially if they have to start Gustafsson Monday. And if he gets shelled, you're not going to want to put him back in because his confidence might be a little rocked. Uh, So I I would put Forsberg, even if he's not ideal. Yeah, agreed. I mean, it's good to have options, uh, and I guess ultimately, 
uh, like kind of like we were saying the other week. I mean, goalies are voodoo, man. Like every goalie you acquire, for all you know, could put it together and be a huge boost to the team. It's it's, uh, it's kind of hard to say for sure. I think the team had intended for Gustafson to be mostly in the AHL this season, but due to circumstances, he's had to step up a little bit. We'll see if he gets more games out of it, but I think ultimately they want to keep riding Murray and probably Decord. Uh, yeah. I think at this point, I don't know what the organization sees in Hogberg. I suspect that he's kind of played himself down the depth chart. Agreed. And with that, we'll close out the first period of the podcast. And in the second period, we're going to go to our lovely guest who's joined us this evening, the one and only Ian Mendez. So everyone, we'd like to introduce senior writer at The Athletic. Feels weird saying that after you've been with the, the drive on TSN for so long. Ian Mendez has joined us here tonight, and we're so thrilled to have him. And so we'll start right off the bat with a question about your change to TSN. Or sorry, change from TSN, Matt, if you want to lead it on the question. Yeah, I was, you know, I was just wondering, I mean, once again, thanks, thanks for hopping on. Yeah, you bet. My, my, uh, my pleasure. Um, how have you enjoyed your switch uh, to uh, a senior writer at The Athletic? And, and like, what's the difference been, um, you know, going from radio to, uh, to writing? First of all, I'm a little worried. You guys keep dropping the word senior in there a lot. It makes me feel old. <laughs> uh, uh, it, it's been great. Like, it, it, it's been a, a real challenge, though. Like, it's been a real, uh, you know, how to describe it. A learning curve. I'll say it's a learning curve. Like, I was in that position on the drive for seven years. So 2013 to 2020. Uh, loved it. Uh, loved working uh, with Sean Simpson. Loved working with Lever Sage. Loved uh, doing the pregame show. All of it. I just felt, though, at some point in the last year, I was getting a little bit stale or maybe I needed a little bit of a, uh, you know, a little bit of a kick in the pants. And, and, and maybe it's at that time uh, in, my, in my professional life to, to look for something else. And so, you know, this opportunity with The Athletic presented itself and it, it's been great. Like it's been the thing I really like and uh, the thing I appreciate is I'm still covering the Senators, right? So I feel like the, the, the cool thing about the Senators community is I don't think it's as big as the Leafs community or the Habs or the Canucks, but it's a it's a pretty cool community. And so when you move from one platform to the other, kind of feel like everybody came along with me. I don't I don't feel like um, you know I, I don't feel like oh I'm missing out on people or I understand. Look, I'm behind the paywall, so that part's a little bit different. But it 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 still feels like I'm connecting with a lot of the same people. I'm interacting with a lot of the same people, and I'm serving uh, the same uh, fan base. So it's. It's been yeah. great from uh, from that perspective. And honestly, Ian, you have written so many articles that I'm like, I'm getting behind on them. <laughs> I, I look at the Senators feed and I'm not expecting an, an article like every second day. And so I was like, okay, uh, you know, let's see which Ian Mendez articles I've missed lately. And there's like three and I was like, oh boy. And they're like well-written, you know, well thought out. So I've really enjoyed them. So okay. yeah, can, you're doing can, a great group. Can we, uh, can we isolate this audio clip of you saying... I'm not expecting you to write every other day. And then what we're going to do is we're, we're going to take that article and we're going to send it to my bosses at The Athletic. <laughs> Look, they're not even expecting me to write every other day. All I have to do is write once or twice a week. We we just enjoy Ian Mendez as like a collective legend. And then, you know, you have, you have all these articles coming out and and it's it's truly overwhelming. And uh, to your point, 
point about you know people following you from from other platforms. I have friends that weren't uh, subscribed to the Athletic, and when they found out that you were going to the Athletic, immediately subscribed. So uh, that uh, you can put that feather in your cap however you like, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's definitely cool. Yeah, and I appreciate that because I you know I think. You know, just to answer even, but go back to your original question about making the switch, there's a different feeling sitting in the seat that I am now versus where I was last year in that, like, people are, are paying now to consume my content, right? Versus yeah. a TSN or TSN 1200, TSN.ca, what have you. It was like, okay, well, if I happen to be out and I'm listening to the radio, no problem. It doesn't cost me anything. Same with reading my articles at TSN.ca. Now, it's like, well, I got to I gotta pay to see what he's doing. and and whether it's you know four dollars a month or a dollar a month or you know whatever the yeah. uh, deal you got, that's your money. Like, and that's yeah. that that means something. And then that that to me is a reflection and a reminder to me that I better bust my my uh, behind all the time because there's people who are like legitimately paying for me to cover this team and have a unique look at this team or some interesting uh, you know uh, perspectives and not just. Um, churning out the same stuff and that and that that's the other part of this too like this is the big challenge i find is and this is not meant to be uh if anything this is um uh, this is more of a challenge for me but i can't put out something at the athletic that uh post media has or sportsnet.ca has or tsn.ca has because if, if 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 what i'm doing is comparable to what they're doing people will say well why am i paying to see you or your stuff at the athletic, right? So that's that's the big challenge. How do you and we're all we're all seeing the same games and consuming the same content. I got to find this little window that's totally different than what uh, what everybody else is doing. For sure, and I mean I don't mean to gush, but I, I liked reading Haley Salvian's articles quite a bit. And after she announced that she was going to be moving to the Flames coverage, I was questioning whether I should continue paying for the athletic. And when it was announced that you were switching over, I was like, okay, well, that makes my mind up to keep it. Um, so, yeah, no. Matt's great looks for ways to tip, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need that. It's like, we need the uh, the same option. Whatever the, 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 the uh, when you have the Starbucks app and you can add a tip or Uber, <laughs> you can add a tip. That's, we need to add that to the athletic, add a tip. <laughs> that would definitely be uh, something that I think a lot of people would use for sure. We'll move on, though, because I do want to talk on a couple of articles that you wrote. And one of them really interested me because I actually had never thought of this angle. But you wrote a piece about DJ Smith through 100 games as a head coach. And I was like, oh, this is an interesting topic. People don't usually look at things like this. So you started about uh, with Rick Bonus in 92. Uh, you went on. But the one I want to focus on was Jacques Martin. Because prior to the hiring of DJ Smith, it was actually Jacques Martin who was heavily considered. Uh, at least publicly, by the media, by Sens fans, everyone was like, yeah, Jacques Martin, bring him back. It makes sense, you know? The Senators are in the same position as they were last time Jacques Martin coached them. They have a young team. They need somebody who can put some defensive structure on them and get them going and, and get them to really evolve as a team. And so I think your article kind of summed up something that I hadn't even thought about. And so, you know, although Jacques Martin's regular season success didn't translate completely to the playoffs, especially the Leafs series, they didn't work out. But, you know, you kind of compared how through the first 100 games, DJ Smith and Jacques Martin's records look eerily similar. And yeah, that's 100% true. 
So I'm kind of wondering, you know, you wrote this piece. So what do you think DJ Smith ultimately has to really do to kind of see that same defensive growth that Jacques Martin saw with his young team? It's a great question, isn't it? I think it's the one that is going to ultimately solve uh, or answer the question, will DJ Smith be here 100 games from now? And and I think that what I was really blown away at as I looked at all the coaches that have gone through, so the, the coaches that have all done all, at least 100 games in Ottawa, like most of them had good records through 100 games. Like Corey Clouston, I was blown away. Corey Clouston had won, I think, only four fewer games than Brian Murray in his first 100 games. Like nobody would have thought that. You would have thought, oh, Brian Murray would be, you know, 15, 20 wins clear of the next guy. Well, no, Corey Clouston was right there. But everybody that had been a coach after 100 games, only one of them had legitimate job security after 200 games. That was Jacques Martin because everybody, Dave Cameron had the Hamburglar run. Paul McLean had the pesky sends. Like I said, uh, Corey Clouston was pretty good in his first 100 games. And then it fall off, it fell off a cliff for all of them. And the common denominator, guys, was bad defensive play. Um, and that is what is... Preach. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and I think as you look at DJ Smith, you're like, look, I, I really... Like, DJ's a great communicator. DJ's a really upbeat guy. I love that he did. He leaned into the sickos thing the other night uh, with Gino Retta. Like, like people love that. And I think that's important. Like this, this franchise needs to be lovable again. And it's like little moments like that, 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 that make it so. But at the end of the day, you want them to be a competitive team. And the only way I think they're going to be competitive is can they become better defensively? And then it becomes a question. And, and I, I don't know what the answer is. Is this a personnel issue or is this a systems issue? I'm inclined to think this is a personnel issue. I'm inclined to think that if they had kept Dylan DeMello, they would have been in a better spot. I'm inclined to think that if they had somehow pried uh, Devin Taves out of uh, Long Island last year, that they would have been in a better spot. I think most people looked at their defense in January and said, that's why you're going to finish in 30th. That, like, that, was, yeah. that was kind of the outside <laughs> sentiment, wasn't it? Like People were like, I don't know yeah. about that defense. And here we are. Um, you know, 40% or whatever it is, six, sorry, 60% away uh, done the season. And that's kind of held up. And so where I'll, I'll exonerate DJ Smith a little bit, guys, is I wonder if this is a personnel issue. And I wonder if they need to upgrade that blue line. And I know that JBD is coming. And I know that Lassie Thompson might be here. And I know that Jake Sanderson might be coming. But that's still like 18 months away from them being good. What are you going to do in the here and now to make this a better team? So I'm inclined to think that if DJ Smith wants to be better defensively in the next hundred games, somebody's got to get him some some uh, some upgraded talent on the blue line. Yeah, I actually think that this. First of all, you answered the second part of my coaching question because I was going to ask, you know, is this a scheme issue with DJ Smith, or is he just not being given the personnel right? And so I think that leads in perfectly to what I want to ask you about next, and that's about you know you've written a kind of a couple articles that have. Uh, brought up these questions about our defensemen going forward. And, you know, Will Lannan and Riley, Brandstrom, Zub, these players who are kind of like, are they fringe NHLers? Are they going to be gone after this season? Gone at the deadline, maybe? And so I think we'll kind of start there. And we'll start with Christian Will Lannan because I think he had a good game the other night. You know, he ended up getting an assist against Vancouver. Now, he's a guy who, if he doesn't play 17 of the remaining, I believe, 25 games, he's a Group 6 UFA. And I know you've talked about this both on TSN 1200, both through your writing. And so what do you think the Sens are really going to do with Willan and Riley Brandstrom? And 
yeah, what what happens to the center's defense core this season? Yeah, isn't that a fascinating uh, question? Because I think if you went back to the start of the year, I don't think most fans thought there was a scenario where Mike Riley had leapfrogged both Branstrom and Willander. But here we are, and he has. I don't even think it's close right now in terms of the uh, the coach's trust. Mike Riley has taken himself out of the equation for being a scratch at this stage of the game. It has been either Willanen or Brandstrom. And I am, if you had told me that in January, I'm not sure I would have believed it or I would have been stunned. And yet yeah. it has absolutely played out like that. Um, I still think this organization has too much invested in Eric Brandstrom. You can't stand up in front of a podium and then come on my radio show on trade deadline day in 2019, call it the proudest day is you've ever had as general manager. And then 24 months later, be like, you know, lukewarm on Eric Brandstrom. Like, no, that's not what we do around here. You, you don't get to do that. You don't get to trade away a franchise guy in stone. And then when the guy that comes back for him is underwhelming, it's like, you know, somebody has got to be accountable for that. So uh, with that in mind, I think Brandstrom gets the most uh, slack or le- uh, rope or whatever you want to say. Brandstrom gets the most. I'm starting to think that Mike Riley's next on that list because I think the coach loves him. And I think Willannon, unfortunately, is third. And I I, I haven't minded Christian Willannon's game in the last week. I, I think he moves the puck pretty well. You saw it on that one uh, goal on uh, on Wednesday night where I thought he made a good kind of 90-foot, 100-foot pass and uh, – Helped, uh, help, help lead to a goal. Uh, but I just want to, I think when I look at this, I'm one of those people that wants to see Brandstrom on the right side. I just, like, what if we just tried it? Like, I don't understand. Like, you know, like, like, I, like what's the hesitation here? Like, well, like we're, we're, we're looking at a team that's 29th overall. Like, you're not, you're not messing with the standings here. You're down to like your fifth goalie. Like, just do it. No one's going to, Frankly, like, like your third, your third right defenseman isn't all that great either. So, like, I don't, I, I, I don't see the point where you're, you're not inputting the guy that you traded for an arguable top five winger now, and who just got sent to the minors today, you know. But with that said, like, why aren't you playing him at that right side? When the guy who you think is is has has such a great impact isn't, just play him there. And I, also, I, Brandstrom has said in the past that he actually enjoys playing on the right side. Yeah, so it's his preferred side. Yeah, so <laughs> player. I mean, yo, EA NHL twenty one has Brandstrom listed as the right defenseman. EA is never wrong. Okay, there's uh, that 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 was slightly sarcastic, but <laughs> Brandstrom he enjoys playing on the right side. You know, like you're saying, Ian and Matt, like play him on the right side, give him a chance. I think, you know, the coach's biggest concern is that, you know, you can't have two puck movers, one on each side. And I think that that worries him. Like if a Willan and Brandstrom pairing, for example, was to be put into existence, I think DJ would collapse on the bench. I don't think he could handle that explosion of transitioning power. But, you know, there needs to be some effective way to deploy Brandstrom even when Willannon and Shabbat are in the lineup or Riley and Shabbat, you know, I think he deserves to get in there and be able to really show himself away from good Branson because that, you know, all brand pairing has really not been good when it's been together. But I think Branstrom on the power play has looked quite good 
And I think we just need to get him in the lineup outside of keeping him on just that left side. Yeah. So, uh, Ian, one of the questions we, we had for you as, you know, somebody who is pretty in tune with, uh, the, the local media and the organization, um, the relationship seemingly for the last couple of years between Sens Media and the organization has been described as as broken by some in the past. So um, what's your take on the current uh, relationship that that's there? And uh, do you think they're trying to bridge the gap that's existed between themselves and the fan base more recently? or It's a great question. And, and, and I think it was a Graham Nichols who put it out... Um... Yeah, that's ge- legitimately the reason we're asking yeah, because yeah. you know you 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 got a pulse on things. <laughs> yeah, hey, listen, I and I I got a I, I let, let me preface this by saying I got a lot of time for Graham Nichols. Like I got a lot of yeah. time for him, and I feel bad because I know some people run at him and say like you're too negative, and I think it's important <laughs> that people understand when people like Graham Nichols complain about the senators, it's because they love the senators. It's not because they hate yeah. them. It's because you love something so much, it drives you insane. And that's what, that's what this team does to its fan base. And, and that's, I think, really the, the genesis of the whole sicko movement. And it's just the, 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 the guys and girls who love this team love this team. And we don't have a big enough of a fan base to start nitpicking people who are Senators fans saying, you're not yeah. a fan or you like, you know, so, <laughs> so let me just start by saying that. The, the point that he made, I think, was accurate. I do. I think, I mean, it it depends on, it depends on which member of the media you speak to, if they'll tell you if it's a fractured relationship or not. I can only speak from my own perspective and tell you there's absolutely a fracture in the relationship between the team and the media. And I, I don't know how to fix it other than to say, um, simply this, I think we have, or I have, I shouldn't say we, I, I have a philosophical difference with uh, the organization, and I'm I'm comfortable saying that. And I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, you know if I didn't feel comfortable saying it, I wouldn't say it on the air. But I think we just yeah. this is not a. And I think sometimes too people look at this and say like, "Wow, Eugene Mountain called Ian Mendes Bush League." I wonder if it's personal. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I wasn't going to say it. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay, but like like it, it's first of all, it's got to be a two way street. Like I I can't I can't go on the media uh, and 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 criticize. Uh, the owner and the general manager. And then when they do it back to me, I can't be like, oh my God, you guys are calling me names. You guys are so mean. Like, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't work that way. Like, so you got to be able to, uh, if you're going to give criticism, you got to be able to take it. And, and what he said about me was uh, well within his rights. And he certainly didn't, uh, you know, slander me or pull any punches. <laughs> yeah, no, and, that's, and that's fine. But I think, guys, all this is between me and the team is a philosophical difference. It's not a personal difference, it's a philosophical difference. My belief is my job is to hold them to a degree of accountability. My job is to ask them tough questions. I think they believe that when I do that, I'm trying to embarrass them. I'm not. I, I don't, like, I, I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm trying to hold you accountable. And that's all it is. It's just a philosophical difference. They think like, oh my God, this guy's negative with his line of questioning and look at it. No, I, I'm just asking the questions that you, the fans, want to ask. That's our job. And I, I wish... That was something that everybody who was in the mainstream media remembered. We don't work for the owner. We don't work for the general manager. Our job isn't to break stories. Our job is to hold them accountable for you. You who have podcasts, 
you who have blogs, you who are season ticket holders, you who are um, uh, business partners and sponsors, that's who we work for. And I think that's all it is. It's a philosophical difference. And it's not personal. Because if it was personal, I'd I'd come out here and start throwing on a slinging arrows and saying all sorts of things. I, I don't have a single personal issue with anybody um, involved with the Ottawa Senators. But professionally, I just think there's a, a little bit of a disconnect. I don't think it's a um, a bridge that can't be fixed or, or, or a solution that can't be solved or a problem that can't be solved. It's very easy. All they got to do is say to themselves, we're the Ottawa Senators and we can take some criticism. That's it. End of story. Like, you're the Ottawa Senators. You're not some two-bit organization that is trying to uh, just make your way here into town. And Like, you're an NHL team. You've been here for 30 years. You should have a thick skin to handle the heat in a Canadian market. That's it. Bottom line. Yeah. All right, Melnick, you heard it here first. Between Two Ferns style interview coming right up. Let's go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think that's an excellent point on Graham. And my, my, I find myself, I don't agree with Graham on quite a few things, but I follow him on Twitter because I think his takes are an important perspective, at least to me, to kind of see where, you know, some sense fans see the organization from. Because it does put some things in check for me. I'm naturally a person who thrives on optimism. So I'm always like, yeah, Stutzla, like, you know, yeah, these young guns are, are great. And then, you know, somebody brings a question. All right, well, what's going to happen when you need to sign Batherson, Kachuk, Stutzla? Um, who knows? You know, Sanderson, whoever becomes that blooming player that all of a sudden you have to pay big time. And sometimes a reality check is needed. And I think Graham does offer that, even if, you know, his views aren't always appreciated by many people. So on that note, there is one more thing that we want to talk to you about while we have you here and yeah. I'll, I'll let Bennett ask it. Cause I know it's been on his mind. Of course. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Matt. And uh, thanks again, Ian, for being on. This is awesome. Uh, I'm a fan of your work on the athletic and I'm also a fan of the podcast that you host with Haley and with uh, Sean McIndoe and some of the other folks there. Oh, thank you. And what a plug. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'll, uh, I'll keep an eye on my mail for the check there. Uh, okay, so on a recent podcast on The Athletic, uh, you talked about the huge deal that the NHL recently negotiated with ESPN in the States. Yeah. And this is a seven-year broadcasting rights deal. Uh, it's worth $2.8 billion. Uh, now, we know what this means for the league and for the exposure of the sport. You know, having uh, coverage on ESPN is going to be huge for growing the game there. But what I want to know, and what I assume Sense fans are going to want to know too, is what does a deal like this mean for the bottom lines of the 31 teams in the league? Because I'm not familiar with the financial structure of the NHL. And I want to know is a huge deal like this, $400 million a year, does this impact the bottom line of the Senators, any of the other teams in the league? Or what does this mean in practical terms on yeah. the ground? It, it, it's a really good question because I think coming out of the pandemic, uh, these are the types of questions a lot of fans will have is like uh what does this mean for the bottom line what does this mean for the cap what does this mean for ticket prices yada 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 so it's a good question um so the way like let's use Ottawa as an example right now so the senators get roughly right again this is a ballpark estimate they get 50 50 million dollars a year from their broadcast rights as it stands right now so if you think about it they get every year when there's been a full season i know this year's a little bit different Bell Media cuts them a check for like 30 million. Okay. Then they get their cut of the Rogers national deal, which I think I want to say comes in at about 20 million a year. So that's $50 million a year, five zero a year. 
You haven't played a game. You haven't dropped. You've got, you get that. Now with ESPN, you got to divide 300 by, I'm sorry, 400 by 32. So, you know, whatever you call it, 10, uh, even 11, whatever you call it, 10, $12 million that you get there. Like that, that is split up amongst uh, the owners. That, that, that is something that they get to uh, put into a big pot and they all share uh, a mega deal like that. But every team, and, and look, you've seen this with Ottawa's payroll now too. Ottawa's gotten uh, or had $30 million a year. Again, this is a ballpark number, but $30 million a year you get from Bell Media for TSN, TSN 1200, all of that. Like They're getting that money and ask yourself, has that been, do you feel like that's been reinvested in the salaries? The answer right now is no, it hasn't been. But the hope is when you add another, another $12 million from uh, from ESPN, the Seattle expansion money should be coming in. You get this. Well, now a good chunk of your payroll should be taken care of. Now a good chunk of your cap for a season could or should be taken care of. And that 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 is the point where I'm going to give them one chance. I'm going to give this ownership group one last chance to make good on a promise to keep everybody in house under the cap. Success. Right? Like, yeah, and, and yeah. Uh, parallel, unparalleled success, all of that. Um, <laughs> I think we, I will give them one shot. But I've already noticed some of the language has changed. It has gone from I am going to spend to the cap to we're going to be a mid-cap team. Well, yeah. W- yeah. W- when did this happen? Like, like, but if I, let me boil it down to this. And the ESPN deal is a great example of money that they should be able to leverage along with the, the Sportsnet deal and the, and the Bell Media local deal. If you can't, with all of that, get Brady Kachuk signed to a contract that is uh, palatable to him and his camp, then we're done here. Like, we're done. Like, uh, Brady Kachuk is the final piece. Like, I know we said this about Stone, and I know we said it about Carlson, and we said, but if you can't sign an RFA and get this done, then you don't have the ability to retain star players. The good news is they got uh, uh, Thomas Shabbat signed. So that was great, but that was pre-pandemic. I think that they yeah. should be able to have the, the 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 finances and the resources to get Brady Kachuk done. And I do think that the ESPN deal should help them in that, uh, in that regard. And more specifically on your point about Kachuk, I think if it's a bridge deal, it's a failure. I think they need to get this guy locked up for eight years. Like he needs to yeah. be signed to a long-term contract that is in line with Shabbat because like you said this season he's without a doubt just become the unquestionable leader and I think that was really epitomized in his post Edmonton 7-1 loss speech where he said it was embarrassing and and downright infuriating and I think that that was really a, a captain's speech if you will and he just carries this team on his shoulder and so yeah I agree with you 100%. And um, to finish on that note, the boys are going to razz me for this one. But with all that money coming in... <laughs> oh, it's Dougie Hamilton, isn't it? <laughs> Wait, I didn't even get to ask, and you guys are razzing me. Ian, <laughs> Ian, with the Senators needing a strong right-handed defenseman to take some pressure off Shabbat, should they pursue, with all this expansion money, the ESPN money, Dougie Hamilton in free agency? Ooh, see... I like Dougie Hamilton a lot, but Dougie Hamilton is a polarizing guy, isn't he? Like, he've, like he's been in, in Boston and in Calgary and Carolina, and he's a polarizing guy. And 
I like him. I think he's certainly a, a top pairing defenseman and certainly a top four pairing, but but probably a top pairing a D-man. I would do it. If you're asking me, would I do it? Yeah, 100% I would do it. Like that's that's the missing piece here in the here and the now is a top pairing uh, right shot defenseman that could either play with Thomas Shabbat or play with Jake Sanderson if he's here next year or even if it's Riley. Like if you're yeah. top uh Four next year on the right side, it's Artem Zub and somebody else, and it's and like a, and like an upgrade like a Dougie Hamilton. You're in a good spot. Like you're in a really yeah, good spot. If we come back next year and it's the same three on the right side, we're going to be having the same conversation, and you're going to have the same <laughs> podcast, and I'm going to write the same article, <laughs> and we're going to be like, oh, this team is so close, and they got they can score, and uh, maybe it's goaltending. Well, no, maybe it's maybe it's the roster construction on the back end. So yes. If you can get out and get a megastar like Dougie Hamilton, who I think is 28 or however old he is, 27, 28, you can get him. I would be all in on Dougie Hamilton, provided you can also have enough money to sign Brady Kachuk. Oh, for sure. For sure. I think that it really boils down to that. Um, I mean, just to kind of toot Dougie Hamilton once more, he's on a, let's see here, uh, nine game point streak. Not bad uh, for a defenseman, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, Ian Ian agrees with me, and you know that just fills my heart with warmth. We also <laughs> agree with you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just I just agree too much. I think with that statement. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, thank you so much, Ian, for joining us. Uh, it's been a blast of a thirty minutes. Uh, sorry that we kept you a little over time here. We're just so excited to talk about this stuff with you. So. Again, thank you so much, and uh, we really appreciate you coming on here tonight. Yeah, you guys, honestly, and I apologize. Like, yeah, I got to run just because I got like two uh, uh, kind of two stories I'm working on at the same time, trying to get something <laughs> for tomorrow. But uh, I wanted yeah. to make sure I made time for you because you, you guys had reached out uh, last week. My pleasure to do it tonight. Uh, my pleasure to do it down the road, and uh, it is great to have uh, fans like you either consuming my content or on behalf of the other members of the media. Uh, you know, thanks for thanks for consuming all of our content because. Um, without fans like you, we we honestly wouldn't have jobs. So thanks for having me, and uh, look forward to uh, to hopefully uh, being back on your show down the road. Perfect. Thanks, thanks so, much, so much, Ian. Thanks, yeah. Ian. You bet, you guys. All right. Take care. You too. Yeah, you too. Bye. Wow, that was right. that was just a riveting conversation. If that I was really good. Myself. Yeah, Ian's just a blast to talk to. Like I, I honestly, he has such great insight and stuff, and I'm not trying to toot his horn a little too much here because you know i think we did that already throughout the episode but honestly like his insight and just the way he is able to carry himself in conversation i think it's just very easy to talk to him and you know we kept him like 10 minutes over time so i feel a little bad but hey the guy's got to get his uh writing pieces done he's uh, a man <laughs> who has a big a big job here yeah uh genuinely uh, like i think it's amazing that that ian mendez you know we Everybody loves the guy in uh, in in Ottawa, and uh, I mean, other than maybe Eugene Melnick, called him Bush. <laughs> but um, I think it's it's fantastic that that people like like him are are taking uh, taking the time to to join podcasts like ourselves and and other ones that uh, you know might not have the the uh, the glitz and glamour of of. Uh, um, you know some of the other podcasts that uh, that everybody's already aware of. So I I think Ian's a a really stand up guy, and uh, his writing's fantastic. Like oh it's, yeah, it's it's 
frustrating. The guy's good at TV. He's good at radio. Now he's good at writing. Like, ah, leave some for the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say he doesn't have a podcast, but Bennett kind of crushed that uh, a little earlier. So never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, uh, I like that one. Yeah, it was awesome to have him on. Uh, we always appreciate that uh, he has time for, uh, for folks like us, which is great. I have to say, on the subject of the ESPN deal, I didn't realize it would be that lucrative. Um, like for yeah. the actual individual teams, I assumed that, like, you know, like the league would take, like, a, you know, like a, a, an administrative fee and like a management fee or that kind of stuff. <laughs> but it seems to go pretty much right into the pockets of the owners. So, NHL, uh, the new Ticketmaster. Yeah. So, really, I think, uh, I think Ian brought up a really good point that, uh, you know, if, if we don't see liquidity in the team after, uh, the payout for the ESPN deal and the Seattle expansion draft, it, if all that has to go to like servicing debt and like keeping, you know, uh, Melnick's like yacht afloat or something, oh then, uh, then <laughs> we're going to be in a bad way. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, if, if we don't see that kind of stuff, you know, on the ice, cause I think it's unique in that, uh, you know, the, the you getting a huge payout like that for a broadcasting deal, but also having a salary cap makes it really interesting because, it helps out smaller teams more so than the bigger teams in that case. Whereas, you know, compared to other sports where there might not be a salary cap and they still get huge TV payouts, then mm -hmm. it just, it, you know, it doesn't really do anything for parity. But in yeah. our league, you know, it, it's kind of a unique opportunity where it could help a team like the Sens spend to the cap if they might not be able to otherwise. So and it'll I, be really interesting to see all that, the effect that has. Yeah, for sure. And I didn't mean to interrupt, but uh, I was also going to say the Senators have, I think last time I calculated it, was about $20 million coming off the books this year, you know, between step-on, expire. And I know that's not real dollars, it's cap dollars, but, you know, between step-on, coming off the books, Coburn, um, who's the other one I'm missing here? Artem Anisimov, he's coming off yep. the books as well. And I uh, believe... Isn't Chris Tierney as well? No, he was re-signed. Oh, okay. I wasn't I sure if it was a one-year deal or, or not. Nope. Uh, I believe he signed through two years, if I'm not mistaken. I'll what a good check. tradable asset. Honestly, yeah. The only thing is his salary next year is higher than his cap hit, so that could be... Like, it would depend on which team wants to trade for him. But yeah. Uh, the other thing I was going to mention is that the Senators are also shedding... Uh, this is a really random one, but for people who don't know, they're shedding a million dollars off the buyout money of Dion Phaneuf this offseason. <laughs> So that's actually a little little extra, a couple of nickels coming off the the books. And um, yeah, and then of course, Mike Riley, Eric Goodbranson, both coming off the books. So they have a lot of money to work with. They're going to be under the cap again. Obviously, they have to sign Batherson. They have to sign Kachuk. But I know I joked about it, guys, but Ian agreed with me, you know. We could. Oh uh, my God. We're not signing Dougie. <laughs> we, we already, we are. Like, listen, Bennett and I, we're putting this to rest. We like Dougie Hamilton. We want him. He's not going <laughs> to sign here. Guys, I know. I just All right. I have to. It's my <laughs> shtick. It's my shtick. <laughs> but on that note, uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. That was the first, second, and third periods of Knight's podcast. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening. And and again, thank you to Ian Mendez for coming on. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, check us out on Spotify, Apple. Uh, we're on Anchor. Uh, Follow us on Twitter at the Centennial Pod. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Facebook. Uh, we love talking with y'all. And uh, we occasionally post on Reddit, don't we, Matt? 
We do indeed. Absolutely. So you can message us there. Just don't call us university dropout kids or something. Cause somebody said that we sounded like some dudes from Carlton who had like dropped out and it kind of made me die a little inside. So, and I'm like, <laughs> I can actually show you a degree. So oh. I did go to Carlton, but Benekent, you know. wow, we are all just top notch students. Look at that. Booyah. Well, I didn't go to Carlton. Gross. No, oh, no, but you have a, a degree is my wow. Wait, where did you go, Bennett? I went to you, Ottawa. And all right, I'm out of here, boys. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell is a GG, dude? <laughs> it's the fourth course out of the gate. I know. I'm just... And with that. <laughs> uh, okay, thanks for listening, everybody. And also, respect the dedication to uh, to listening. So thank you, everybody, and have a great night. Peace. Thanks, guys. Talk to you later. Regards.